Okay, I think we're uh, 1.45, ready to start. Thanks everybody for making the trip over to the Bellagio, if you weren't already here. Uh, we're going to present to you today on uh, hot paths to anomaly detection using TIBCO Data Science, that's a product, and TIBCO Streaming, it's also a product, running on, on AWS. So I'm uh, Michael O'Connell. Uh, I'm Stephen Hillian. Uh, we are part of the analytics uh, part of the portfolio at, at TIBCO. So if we think about what is an ideal uh, data science platform, you want to be able to connect to all kinds of data, whether it's SQL, NoSQL, data lakes, relational stores, streaming data sources. Uh, you want to be able to uh, prepare those data uh, with uh, point and click operators and also with your favorite open source code. Uh, you want to be able to have a nice palette of operators for data access, data preparation, for modeling, machine learning. You want to be able to publish those uh, models and data prep methods out into uh, batch jobs. Uh, you want to be able to put them on an event stream for real-time scoring. You want to feed them into live applications that uh, generate business value. Uh, you want to run them on edge devices as well. Um, and you want to basically create value on the business, whether that's through uh, customer engagement or through uh, anomaly detection we're going to be featuring today, of course, predicting equipment failure optimizing pricing, you know, things like that. Uh, and so that is what we offer on AWS. We offer those products and that configuration to so solve those, uh, those business problems. Uh, right now, you can go to the marketplace and you can spin up uh, TIBCO Data Science and other TIBCO products to do, to do just that. So we're going to walk you through today uh, what is TIBCO Data Science on the AWS marketplace, what is the TIBCO Connected Intelligence Cloud as powered by AWS, we're going to get into anomaly detection and anomaly analysis. And in particular, we're going to take a, a spatial wafer pattern as a fairly complex arrangement of how to detect a pattern and, uh, and an anomaly. And we're going to give you three demonstrations around uh, how to visualize that data, build data science models, put them on the event stream, figure out what the root cause is behind the anomaly, that sort of end-to-end -end workflow. That's what, what we're going to do. So Stephen, how about you tell us a little bit about the data science uh, platform at TIBCO? Yeah, that's the key, is it's an end-to-end -end platform. And I think one of the messages we want to try and get across today, apart from just some interesting math about how you do anomaly detection, is that if you deploy this platform on top of AWS, you really do have an end-to-end -end platform for doing analytics. So what I mean by that is connecting na natively to sources of data, in the case of Amazon, say, Redshift, uh, EMR, Aurora. S3. Um, S3, of course and then building out data prep workflows before you even get to the modeling, data prep, data cleansing, feature generation, and so on. Um, of course, doing the modeling, you want to have, uh, whether in sort of a polyglot environment, a visual uh, notebook or a Python notebook, the ability to do advanced analytics uh, at scale or on smaller data sets, and then ultimately operationalize that, whether that's running your models on streaming data which is chiefly what we're going to be focusing on today, or running those in batch on big data platforms, uh, or whether that's just embedding them into end-user applications, dashboards, or actual enterprise applications, say. Um, so there's an array of different business applications that you have here, and we're going to be focusing on one today. Right, and we've been at this for a while with AWS. Stephen, let's uh, you know, tell us about the marketplace presence and so on that we have. Yeah, so I think... Um, I'll give you a customer example in a second, actually, that shows that we've got about 10 years of doing this uh, on AWS alone, um, where we've, I think, become the only analytics solution that is dual certified for both uh, 
what Amazon calls the, the data services, the data prep and data cleansing that I was talking about in ETL, as well as the actual platform for building machine learning workflows. So having both of those certifications, again, I think is a testament to sort of the end-to-endness of the, of the platform. Um, we're certified as a technology partner. As Michael indicated earlier, you can actually take this platform and essentially at the press of a button, spin up a trial of TIBCO data science running on, say, EMR. Um, and we've also got an array of solutions, uh, templates, accelerators that are available on AWS so that you can get started even more quickly in terms of deploying real-world solutions onto, uh, onto that platform. And in addition to the data science, we uh, have a lot of other TIBCO products on, the, on AWS. There's several pages of products there. Some of the uh, notoriety we have is uh, creating the, the biggest virtual CPU uh, grid. I think it was 1.3 million cores that we ran our grid server, Paralyzed Compute, for Monte Carlo risk simulation in financial services applications. We've also created the lightest serverless footprint. In fact, Amazon had to create a new SKU down at 32 KB to stand up our edge environment, uh, TIBCO Flogo, for doing lightweight, um, low-code, uh, point-click uh, uh, integration on, uh, on edge devices and also running those uh, serverless. So we've been around in, in, uh, in AWS for, for a long time. One application of that is with our partner Lidos. Lidos is itself a partner to the government for healthcare-related analytics. Um, so they have an entire practice around uh, data quality, around uh, advanced investigations into things like disease propagation, which is powered by both AWS and the, the TIBCO platform. So for example, some years ago now, we did work around uh, mysterious outbreaks of HIV in the Midwest where we determined root causes. Uh, using predictive analytics that actually resulted in policy changes. I think we also got a drug removed from the market related to opioid, the we opioid did. crisis. We had, a, we had a APAMA as a drug that was removed from, uh, related to the opioid crisis that was detected through the work we did with CDC. That's right. We also did some work with NASA, not so much on rocket science, but on data science, and not so much on um, the mechanics of flights, but on the health impacts on long-term space flight. Um, so we looked at medical records, EMR, uh, both structured and unstructured records uh, of astronauts over a long period of time uh, and looked to see if there were certain diseases that seemed to be correlated with length of time in space. Uh, and there are some, uh, including visual effects, ocular effects, that are actually right now a considerable barrier to getting us to Mars. Uh, these medical things are as, almost as difficult to solve as the technical aspects of low gravity and so on. Right. So a quick question to the audience. What do you think is the most common drug used by an astronaut in space? Suggestions? No, good guess, good guess. It's actually hmm? melatonin. Melatonin, as you can imagine, getting to sleep in space is kind of challenging. You see, uh, we travel around the world and jet lag's enough of a challenge, but that's just going, you know, 30,000 feet. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, some great work that we've done with partners and through our own uh, Connected Intelligence Cloud. And if you think about what's in the TIBCO Connected Intelligence Cloud, you know, we started as a company 20 or so years ago with the idea of interconnecting everything. Uh, with the TIBCO bus, the information bus company, you know, pub-sub technology for integrating systems, data, data sources, and so on. You know, that's evolved. That, that uh, set of products has evolved now into API-led microservices, you know, flexible hybrid integration, uh, low-code types of applications. Uh, but that's still a big, big foundational element of the platform. We got into analytics about 10 years ago with the acquisition of Spotfire. Now, Spotfire is a, is a pioneer in visual analytics. The way we look at analytics, it's about finding insights in data. It's not about drawing pretty pictures. 
So that's uh, very different to a lot of the other visual analytics um, or BI tools that you see on the market that are compared to Spotify. Spotify is very different. It's about interactive brush link data discovery for finding insights that you then put into operations to create value. It's not about infographics or pretty pictures like a lot of the other BI tools. Now we added data science into that layer uh, over the last uh, several years and then more recently operational analytics, which is taking event stream data produced by the various TIBCO foundational technologies and doing interactive BI right inside of the browser uh, with those sorts of data and also feeding those sorts of data into our data science products to do interactive image recognition and you know, sophisticated data science technologies right there you know, on the event stream. So that's been a 10-year journey. And then uh, more recently, the last couple of years, um, we firstly acquired uh, this unified data layer uh, and we realized we needed that for pushing uh, both event data and uh, SQL, NoSQL, and so on, federating that, uh, taking 360-degree views of that uh, to, for consumption by the visual analytics and data science software. So we acquired a company that we'd been OEMing into Spotify for 10 years, a composite, uh, was uh, picked up by Cisco six, five, five, six years ago. We acquired it a couple years ago. So we had a long history with that uh, product. Uh, and then we uh, acquired, uh, after that, a company called Snappy Data, which has now become our accelerated distributed in-memory compute uh, engine. Four to five X more performance than Databricks Delta, 100 X more performance than Spark. It's a uh, compute uh, layer that accelerates interactive viz as well as data science. The standard field uh, solution consultant demo does interactive Spotify visual analytics on two billion, with a B, rows of data, sub-second latency. So that's the type of acceleration you can get out of this product we now call ComputeDB, you know, formerly uh, Snappy Data. And then most recently, about a year or so ago, we acquired a company, Orchestra Networks. We've rebranded as TIBCO EBX. This uh, allows you to do complete uh, master metadata reference data management of all of your shared data assets. So you can build a model uh, for master data, you add reference data, metadata, uh, and basically model all of the attributes of, uh, uh, of the data sources that you're using in the rest of the TIBCO stack. So we've been at uh, you know, building this connected intelligence uh, platform for, for some years, and uh, we're now at the point of being able to pretty much do everything that you might want to do inside of an enterprise environment. And these uh, you know, are the principles, guiding principles here, bottom right-hand corner, cloud native, having these products run cloud native in AWS and other cloud providers, uh, open platform, uh, embracing open source in many ways, and then AI as a foundation as we push uh, AI methodologies through data science into the rest of, of, of the products. Now, in terms of this running on AWS, you see here on the left-hand side data coming in through our real-time integration. And BusinessWorks is the flagship TIBCO product for that microservices uh, uh, base, basic uh, microservices integration. Uh, DV is our TIBCO data virtualization for batch federation of uh, source systems. And then feeding those into various Amazon uh, envir environment uh, uh, integrations with Redshift, uh, S3, we mentioned EMR, and then TIBCO data science driving calculations, data science prep and uh, machine learning models down into those environments to run at scale in a distributed compute. And the, you'll see the visual interface as well as the notebook interface of TIBCO data science that allows you to call out to various AWS libraries and services. So for example, the BOTO3 Python SDK can be very simply invoked from the notebook interface inside of a TIBCO data science workflow as well as from a Python data function inside of a TIBCO Spotfire. So that ecosystem is very rich uh, of the Amazon products and the 
and the TIPCO products. It, it's, uh, uh, one thing to emphasize there, right, I think is that it's not just that we happen to be deployed on AWS like we could be deployed into any other cloud. We're, we're deeply embedded within the AWS cloud. So we're running computations on Spark in the EMR cluster and being aware of sort of native functionality of that cluster so we can take advantage of it. And we're taking advantage of SageMaker and we're taking advantage of um, S3 storage and so on. So we're a, a first class citizen of the right. AWS environment. And you'll see today part of the demonstration is to take a feed from Amazon Kinesis uh, into mm. TIBCO streaming to invoke a data science model to raise an anomaly. That's the level of of depth of the integration. And then pushing that out into operational systems, whether it's our own uh, business events is our state machine pr product, stream-based is our uh, real-time math, uh, uh, streaming uh, analytics, Flogo, our edge integration uh, uh, set of solutions. Uh, and then out on into TIPCO Live Apps, which is our low-code uh, business process management uh, offering uh, to when you raise an anomaly, you know, maybe you case manage it to resolution, figure out if it's a false positive or a true positive, get that extra bit of labeled data back into the data science model, retrain that, and go around that, uh, that virtuous loop. So we're providing those sorts of uh, solutions, both in the TIPCO Connected Intelligence Cloud, which is powered by AWS, as well as you, know, you setting up your own from the marketplace, those products to run in your environment. And we're, as Stephen mentioned, we're providing a number of starter applications uh, accelerators and so on for things like anomaly detection, risk management, customer engagement, uh, combining those combinations of products, right? Yeah, so we're going to focus on high-tech manufacturing in the extended demo today. Um, uh, but two things to emphasize that before we dive into the details is number one, it's just one of a number of different applications. It's a completely general platform. We did not just build this for the manufacturing industry. But even the HTM demo that we're going to deliver today, there are some broad principles there in terms of scalability, handling very wide data sets, being able to do variable selection, being able to apply advanced methods as well as sort of off-the-shelf methods that I think apply to other industries as well. I, I think literally this, in fact, I think this is the case with one of our partners in the pharmaceutical world. You could apply this uh, in the um, uh, bio world. You can apply the same workflow to genomics or proteomics data where you have thousands, if not millions, of potential causal factors that may be related to a symptom or presentment, uh, and you need to winnow those down in an efficient way. You have very wide data sets encoding genomic patterns, and you have an outcome that you're trying to determine that's entirely analogous to the demo that we're going to show you today, where the, the, the bad outcome is a failed wafer, and the inputs are sensors and tests that number in the millions. Exactly. So we'll be focusing on this one solution today, the anomaly detection solution running in uh, AWS with TIPCO Data Science. We'll show you how to build models uh, for uh, detecting patterns and so on uh, on spatial uh, arrays. Uh, and uh, we're not going to show too much of the downstream of uh, getting that out into uh, uh, TIPCO Live Apps for uh, case managing the anomaly to resolution and how that works under the hood with uh, TIPCO integration for the deployment. Uh, but we are going to focus uh, on how to deal with this large data. Uh, primarily, uh, you know, as your phone gets more and more memory, uh, you know, the, the people who make that uh, flash memory, NAND memory, Toshiba, for example, Western Digital, these are big customers of TIBCO. Uh, those, as you get up into 90 layers and you have to, at nanometer scale, line up. Imagine creating a 90-story building, but at nanometer scale, where you've got to make sure that everything lines up. Uh, that's the kind of problem we've got. And at every layer, every wafer, every die, every chip, has millions of measurements being taken on it to make sure that it has that fidelity of overlay and that it has the various electrical properties that um, make it work. So it's a, it's a really is a, uh, we've picked a, a, a big data problem to, to, to show you today. 
So we're going to get into some demos now uh, we're, uh, around different types of anomalies. But in terms of just understanding basically what an anomaly is, three classes of anomalies that we look at. One is uh, a longitudinal anomalies, so subsequences on a time series that might be an outlier or, or, or might be a, a signature or a motif that um, you want to track uh, and so on. Uh, one is cross-sectional anomaly analysis. So if you have lots and lots of columns, lots and lots of variables, if you take a snapshot in time, what is you know, the multivariate space of those individual variables at that point in time? Is that an outlying observation? Is that, uh, or is that a you know, middle of the pack type observation? And then what we really focus on today is when you now have a spatial arrangement of data, like in a, in a, a high-tech manufacturing wafer map, uh, how do you recognize an anomaly when it's in space uh, as, well as, uh, as well as in time? Now, you know, the, the, we're going to look at uh, one of the patterns we're going to bring up today is the ring of fire, right, Stephen? So that's right, yeah. It's, it's not strange that it's not listed there, actually, because it's one of the most common ones. If you think of these wafers literally as spinning disks, well, you will have chemi This whole process is like amazingly organic, by the way. You think of this as like being robots and digital and very precise, but it's actually really messy. So you have these dinner, d disks that are spinning around, and so chemicals will often accumulate on the edges, and so you get these patterns of damage or errors occurring at the edges. Also, that edge represents the barrier between the wafer environment and the external environment. Um, you know, laser beams and furnaces and etching coming down and making these wafers, uh, it's likely that things are going to go wrong on the edge. So we'll, we'll see that called out as a specific pattern in the demo. Right, and so uh, un unlike, well, similar to actually uh, for cross-sectional anomaly detection, when we do this analysis, we're looking at doing a you know, lots of variables at one point in time. We typically use a deep learning autoencoder uh, to reduce the dimensionality. And then we reconstruct the data uh, based on the reduced dimensionality. And if the observation is reconstructed faithfully, that means it's at the center of the distribution. If it's not, it's, a, it's a typically an anomaly. So that reconstruction error is something that we track there on the right-hand side versus time. Uh, and when that goes above a certain threshold, then you have an anomalous situation. Uh, and if it goes, stays above that threshold for a certain chunk of time, we call that an incident. Uh, and then you can dig into the, what the root cause parameters are around that in incident. In fact, you can even cluster those incidents to, uh, as they repeatedly occur to look at the signatures, the process variables that explain the incidents, the repeated you know, occurrence of the anomaly. So the bottom chart on this uh, is a five different clusters that we've identified that are different signatures, the, the, the y variable, the y-axis of that bottom set of horizontal bar charts, are the process parameters that are uh, the weights of the important process parameters underneath those different incidents that are colored uh, in the top right-hand corner. So we're able to use cluster analysis to find you know, incidents and types of anomalies and give them a root cause signature. And that's what we're going to be doing today, except we're going to be doing that today in a spatial context. So this kind of doubles down on that, makes it a little bit more complicated, because now we've got a, you know, a radial set of basis functions. We want to, we've been using uh, things like Bessel functions, which are rotationally invariant and allow you to capture patterns that are radial. As Stephen mentioned, the ring of fire, if you see things spread out to the edge, if we set up the data with uh, with Bessel functions, where those are rotationally invariant, they're null value tolerant, they give you efficient storage, uh, and that's one area that we've been really exploring, and we're going to show you a, a demo of that. Think now. of them like a Fourier series, right? Yeah, Bessel like a, functions like, a like extension on a circle. Yeah, Fourier series right. on a circle. Yeah. So we're going to show you, show you that one. Now, we've also been looking at other uh, methods. All of the methods for clustering anomalous events basically involve vectorizing the spatial data. 
um, and then clustering that on, on quality. So this map that I'm showing up here, this is 733 uh, dyes on a wafer in a 20 by 40 layout, 1,500 measured parameters on every dye. And the color on that map is by the dye test. So white means that particular dye has passed all the tests. And if there's a color on there, it means that they failed a test of that type of color. So that approach number one there, the SVD plus K means, we do a one-hot encoding of those data, do a singular value decomposition, and put that into a k-means cluster that then gives us the signatures that I mentioned of the different types of anomalies or patterns in the data. So we're going to show you demos of both uh, those, uh, approach one and approach two, in a, in a moment. Uh, and then we're going to take one of those um, uh, machine learning models, we're going to stick it on an event stream. So then we're going to stream wafers through every couple seconds. Uh, this is about what the frequency in a, in a manufacturing operation in a, in a wafer fab. Uh, and we're going to classify those uh, wafers on the event stream into the buckets of, of anomalies and patterns that we've described in the trained machine learning model. Uh, and then finally, the third demo, we're now going to focus in on a particular cluster that is showing up in the event stream as an important one, as something that's um, a problem. And we're going to dig in and we're going to do root cause of that to find out what are the process parameters underneath that pattern that's emerged that is problematic for the, for the manufacturing operation. So we're going to go through those first uh, three demos there. The bottom point there is, is something we're working on at the moment, so we haven't quite uh, uh, done that. It's a work in progress uh, of getting this. We've got a couple of customers who want to get this on the manufacturing floor. Uh, and so some of the methods we're looking at there are when you find a new pattern emerging, uh, how can you give a person, an engineer on the floor, the ability to click and do mechanical Turk type operations to say, yes, I'm observing this new pattern, this one's like it, this one's like it, this one's like it, and to actually label the data right there on the floor and then feed that back into a retraining of the models that we can then put back out on the event stream. So it's a work in progress with some of our, our leading uh, manufacturing customers. So what you're about to see uh, in the AWS environment, uh, bottom left-hand corner, we're going to show you those vessel functions and figure out the, uh, the, the patterns of interest uh, on, across the wafers. Uh, we're going to push those across uh, into a bottom, bottom right-hand corner, a TIPCO data science model uh, that we can then publish up through PML or through uh, Python onto an event stream. Uh, that's the bottom section of this graph. The top left is where the data is coming in through Kinesis uh, from the manufacturing floor. We're going to read that data into TIPCO streaming. We're going to unpack it and vectorize it. Uh, we're going to do the binning that I mentioned for the singular value decomposition. Uh, we're going to do those calculations through a Python operator right there on the event stream and then feed that through uh, the data science model. One thing perhaps that isn't explicit in the diagram is that the whole thing is running on AWS and the data that's being used to build the models uh, and where the streaming data ultimately resides is typically, this is sort of an amalgam of a number of different projects we're working on right now across some of our clients, but typically it's going to be in a Hadoop cluster or in a large MPP scalable database. Uh, examples could include, as I mentioned, EMR, Redshift, and so on. Right. So let's get into the demos. That's the setup for the demos. We're going to take you through, uh, through three parts of the demo. We're firstly going to show you how to find and explore and capture the anomalous events, uh, then go you know, build the model and stick it on the event stream and monitor those anomalies. And then we're going to come and do the root cause analysis to find out why the anomalies have occurred. So click the magic button there, Stephen, and right. give us a tour. So this is the data science platform. It's a particular view into it. This is a, one thing we haven't talked about is the data science platform is highly collaborative. So it's a web-based platform where all the data scientists and engineers and MLOps engineers can gather together uh, to build and operationalize analytics workflows. 
So this is where the team has been doing their work. Here's where all of the outputs are stored. We've got a number of dashboards as well as an analytics workflow that I'll show you in the third section. Let's start off with the first of these dashboards. Uh, let me click and open this now. This is Spotify in the cloud. And this is this first analysis where we're beginning to look at clusters, natural groupings of wafer patterns. Yeah, so this heat map in the bottom right-hand corner, the, the rows here are the Bessel functions. So these are the basis functions for the wafer map. And then the columns here are the lots of wafers that are coming through. Now, a predominantly red pattern means there's you know, some sort of an issue, and a predominantly blue pattern means there, there, there may not be. Uh, you can see I've got a bunch of wafers here. Now, I can start to navigate right here on the dendrogram, and I can pick off, uh, so if I pick off that little button there, I've got two wafers showing up, and they have this characteristic you know, blue stripe on them. Now, I can uh, you know, play around with this, uh, this set of uh, wafers via the dendrogram to my heart's content. You know, I can see all the sort of red ones over here. Um, you know, I can see uh, different patterns uh, you know, in these ones. Uh, you know, if I grab this little part of the, the stick here. Um, so yeah, this is, gives you a way of sort of sorting through uh, the wafers that you, you know, you can't really distinguish them by eye. Now I can also navigate from the heat map. I see this little section over here on the heat map. Uh, and this is a native visualization running in Spotfire Cloud. Uh, and I can see I've highlighted these little patterns here that have a bit of blue and a bit of red. And I've been able to pull that right up from, from the heat map. And you know, I challenge you to find those by eye. It's kind of like a colorblind test, right? You put these and scatter things in front of you. What's, what's in there? So you know, this analysis finds things that you can't find by eye, but you can also you know, validate what you see in, in the pattern. So we're going to now take that um, type of a, a cluster analysis, uh, and we're going to stick that you know, onto an event stream. We're actually going to stick a, a k-means version of that onto the event stream and, and run Sorry. that through a, uh, a detection program. Yeah, so let's, let's go into that now. So we'll close out this dashboard. Uh, here's a new dashboard that we've built that actually, as Michael says, runs those groupings, those natural, naturally occurring clusters of wafer map patterns, runs that on a stream. So new wafer data is coming in here. Let me start this off. This is a little bit sped up, but not that much. Um, and so you see new wafer data. These are individual wafer maps at the bottom there, scrolling in. Uh, and then up above that are the wafer clusters. So think of these as groupings of aggregate patterns uh, that appear in the wafer maps. And you can see that, um, and that's coming through Kinesis and being pre-processed through Python functions and TIBCO streaming. You can see up the top there, wafer 15, wafer cluster 15 is a little bit troublesome. Uh, the other ones look fine, but this has got that sort of characteristic ring. So you want to look out for that, but the bar chart over here on the right indicates that maybe it's not so bad, it's a small percentage. The bad ones marked in red is a small percentage of the overall wafers. We can look at the time series chart focused on cluster 15 to see that it's remained pretty constantly low, less than 5% over time. So we're okay, we're comfortable. The bad clusters are bad, but they're a very small percentage of the overall production line. But whoa, suddenly there's this spike, and we're seeing more of these ring patterns come in. You can actually see them now beginning to dominate the stream on the bottom. We can focus in on that by clicking, marking down in Spotfire on the bar chart, just onto 15, and we see that they're an increasing percentage of the overall wafer output of the factory. And this is really bad. When you see a spike like this, which is relatively infrequent, but when it happens, you can literally be losing tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of equipment, uh, in terms of materials, rather, uh, and in terms of lost time. So when you see a sp spike like this, you want to know about it immediately from 
all the possible wafer maps that are out there using these sort of grouping techniques. And then the next thing, of course, you want to do is to drill down and figure out why is this happening. Uh, so you're looking at this aggregate wafer data, but why is this bad stuff happening? Is there something upstream in the factory process that is causing these anomalies to happen further down? Now, Stephen, I've been calling this pattern the ring of fire. I know I've been watching the Ken Burns uh, country music series uh, lately with Johnny Cash being featured, which I really love. But uh, this ring of fire is actually you know, a real physical thing, right? I mean, what, what's actually some of the reasons why this might happen? Well, I mentioned before, right, you, you actually have a chemical disbursement where as the wafer spins, you'll get some of these chemicals uh, accumulating on the outer edge of the wafer. Um, and one thing to think about is these wafers really do go through these incredibly organic and intense processes where you're applying high temperature, high pressures, etching, all sorts of processes happening, usually within some sort of manufacturing equipment that is enclosed where there's potentially temperature fluctuations, for example, or pressure fluctuations that happen around the environment of the wafer. In the middle of the wafer, things maybe are more stable, but on the edges, that's when you're exposed to these changes, say, in temperature or pressure. So that's why that ring pattern is, is more common. Right, right. So I think we want to go now and take a look through uh, you know, the next step of the demonstration, if I've got the right button here. Um, so what you've seen, uh, we've found and explored some, some anomalous events with the, with the hierarchical clustering. Uh, we found some of those patterns in there. Uh, we figured out uh, a model for uh, then monitoring uh, those patterns on an event stream. You saw the data sort of flow through. So we've you know, zeroed in on that, on that ring of fire pattern uh, that we found, um, and we saw how it had, you know, jumped up, and we were able to sort of nip it in the bud. As you can imagine, if you're doing multi-layers, you, know, you don't want to you know, screw up on the you know, 95th layer of a 96th layer thing, right? So you want to nip that in, in the bud very quickly. Uh, and now we're going to get into the part of, uh, now we've monitored those, we've found the ring of fire wafers, how do we understand the root cause under, underneath yeah. that? Do you want to walk us through, uh, through, some, sure. through some of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what's called a digital twin model. The notion of a digital twin is pretty common across many different industries, and there are even different versions of this within high-tech manufacturing. But the one we're focusing on now is really literally creating a mathematical model of the entire factory. So, so far we focused on measurements, aggregations that we take at the end of the wafer production process, uh, where we measure, did the die, did the chip, did the integrated circuit actually succeed in adding two and two to make four? Um, and that's all those little bins that indicate that things have succeeded or not. But if we want to figure out why something went wrong, well, we're going to need to look upstream. And that means looking at process measurements that are taken throughout the manufacturing cycles. And what that means is that we look at sensors that are positioned around all the manufacturing equipment, hundreds of different pieces of equipment. This is a months, weeks long process of producing these wafers. Um, and we want to take those measurements and, in a sense, correlate those with the final outcome. So what we do then is we have all these process measurements here. Uh, we take those measurements and we essentially regress, if you like, yield, failure rate, uh, against uh, those process measurements. So think of those sensors as being like these time series measurements of pressure, temperature, thickness, whatever it might be, thousands of sensors, thousands of measurements. And all of those, that big mishmash of variables, it's kitchen sink modeling where we throw it all into the model and see what happens. So that's essentially the problem that we want to solve. We build that digital twin then and it allows us to predict when something is going to go wrong or even more importantly, figure out why it happened. And it, we want to refresh that model pretty consistently because the conditions in the, in the factory are regularly changing. So the challenge there, right, is that, so sure, we've got a lot of wafers, I think typically tens of thousands of wafers mm -hmm. coming through on a daily basis, and then you've got all these sensors. So you've got millions, if not tens, hundreds of millions of measurements coming through, 
but you've also got a very wide data set. It's not just big, it's very wide as well. There are so many variables that might be indicative or predictive of one of those final outcomes. So how do we solve that problem? Yeah, the $1 million, one million column challenge that uh, we've been given by, <laughs> yeah. our, by our manufacturing customers, uh, and, and we're now getting up to 6 million columns, and there's a little uh, a quote there about um, you know, 5 billion data sensor, point, sensor data points per day, and how do we turn that into uh, you know, a, a valuable uh, summary uh, and get to the root cause, essentially, is what the next part of the demo is going to be. So let's, uh, right. we, now we're focused on that you know, cluster 15 or yes, whatever, right. the ring yep. of fire. Yep. Now we're going to try and figure out what are the process parameters that explain the ring yep. of fire. So in this dashboard, that's exactly what we're doing. We're drilling down here into that particular cluster. Let me just cycle through this. Uh, here it is. We're focused on that particular cluster. Let me get the latest data here. And there are those spikes. Um, scroll out a little bit. We'll just focus on those spikes. We'll just mark those. And what's different about this dashboard is that we've got this list of sensors, essentially, down the y-axis here, and then measurements of time across the x-axis. And what this is saying is that of all of the thousands of sensors in the factory, these are the ones that we've configured by virtue of our digital twin model are most related to yield or to failure rates. And so, in fact, if I highlight, say, this top sensor, sensor number four seems to be one that's of particular interest in particular the middle section, you see exactly why. Here's an aggregate sense measurement. Of course, there are thousands of these, but we've sort of aggregated them. And on average, what's happening is that for, the, for this particular set of wafers, for the bad wafers, there's this drop in, say, pressure uh, at some critical point during the manufacturing process. The chip may still, the wafer may still make it through to the next stage, but the cumulative effect, maybe there's some interactions between these variables, is bad. So we've dropped from the green curve, which is normal, yeah, down to the red right. curve on the right-hand side, which is the abnormal yeah. trace of the yeah. sensor. Now, from the point of view of the, the factory engineer, looking at this dashboard, this is super straightforward, right? This is sort of the holy grail. I can monitor in real time what's going on, narrow down through these exploratory uh, clusterings what's, going, what's of interest, and then focus on those wavers, see if they go above a certain threshold, set off an alarm, Go and look here, figure out, ah, it's something around sensor four, maybe some of these others. I'll, I'll literally go down to the factory floor and figure out what's going wrong. But how did we do this, right? How did we figure out that the, not only these particular sensors amongst thousands, but these particular time periods within that sensor, that those were the ones that were most strongly related to this yield problem? So let me talk a little bit about how we did that. Um, at a high level, we use some fairly sophisticated sophisticated wide data techniques, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, some time series encoding, as well as traditional modeling techniques like uh, regressions and forests, in order to do that. But there's some innovation within these methods. They're also applied to very large data sets. And this is running in virtual real time as we keep the models refreshed uh, every, every hour, say. So let me open up this flow and show you how we did this. Because in the end, sophisticated and clever as that is, it's all just expressed in this simple visual workflow um, that the engineers themselves can review for its accuracy and its transparency. So what we're doing here is we're taking in now historical data. Um, here's some time series data. Uh, there's one row here, essentially, for every wafer, uh, for every sensor coming in off the lot. And in fact, you see here the time series measurements, and it's pretty wide. I keep on scrolling here. There's about 1,000 time series measurements. So on average, each sensor is different. But on average, each sensor is giving out about 1,000 measurements at every stage of the way for every wafer. So that's the raw data, pretty big. You can visualize that, if you like, as sort of a time series chart. I've just taken one single sensor for one particular wafer 
just pick that out at random. You see this as an upward trajectory and some spikes. That's really all I need to know. The, the, the noise is not useful for me in terms of these broad characterizations of what's important, what's interesting in the factory. So we use the, one of the first methods that we use of a, a variety of different dimensionality reduction and machine learning techniques here is called Sachs encoding. Uh, Sachs encoding is a way, in a sense, of normalizing and simplifying, decluttering, if you like, uh, complex time series and reducing them to the, their essentials, the upward trend, the five spikes. So that's one of the first things we do. So and, we've reduced mm, the dimensionality there of order of magnitude and the, with it the number of columns that we need to process. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's, that's one step. That's gotten me from maybe a million variables down to, say, 10,000 variables. Um, because I've reduced the time series by an order of a couple of orders of magnitude. Still too many variables, however. So of all of those time series measurements, which ones seem related? Well, we're going to do essentially a batch correlation computation here. We call this wide data variable selection. This is, again, all deployed as spark jobs down into the EMR cluster on these large data sets. And so we do that. This is the wide data variable selector. Not that sexy in itself. It's just a bunch of data. But what I can do is I can do this to tell me which variables are most important. So this is essentially a sort of roughly normally distributed chart of for every time point in every sensor, what's its correlation with yield. And what we can do is we can ignore the, the broad mass of um, measurements in the middle here. They're low correlation, low absolute value correlation. So I can essentially ignore those. And I'll just look at the long tail on either side. That allows me then to join back to the original data set, just subset down to those variables, unstack that back up. I'm now back essentially to my original data set, a bunch of time series measurements, one for every wafer, one for every sensor, but it's much reduced. Not 1,000 columns anymore, but maybe 50. And now I'm in happy data scientist land. I can just apply standard methods to well-behaved, um, reasonably sized data sets. So here, for example, I'm going to do, could be a regularized regression. Here I'm using random forest tells me measures of variable importance, and now I've got my model. And it's that model, actually, we don't even run the model at this point. We just return that list of variables back up to the engineer as these process uh, measurements, as these sensor importance readings. So we do a whole lot of data processing on the back end to yield this very simple but uh, very important outcome that the engineer can understand. Right, right. So out of the, you know, the 300 or so operators inside of TIPCO uh, Data Science, a couple hundred of those are data prep. Right. We saw you know, that workflow was a lot of it was data prep nodes pivoting, you know, doing the, uh, the encoding, whether it's the SACS encoding or the one-hot encoding or impact encoding, whatever the data requires, depending on the cardinality of the variables and so on, we have a method for you in terms of uh, transformation, feature engineering, encoding, that sort of thing. Uh, and then right at the end, we did that machine learning node. Now, we do have inbuilt machine learning in the product, but we also have a Python notebook. So if you want to you know, bring in your scikit-learn or bring in your TensorFlow, Keras, whatever, that is just a drag-and-drop node onto this canvas. Uh, we lost the canvas there for a minute. Uh, and it just you know, introspects whatever you've done point and click, and now the Python programmer has the ability to build out whatever model you know, that they, they want. That's right. In fact, in this particular case, which I said is sort of aggregated from a number of different client projects, um, there were often different techniques we wanted to use. We've shown you a couple here. The SACS encoding uh, is one of them, where we wanted sort of novel or unusual methods for doing things like uh, variable reduction. And the ability to be able to extend the platform by adding in new Python notebooks or new uh, Spark notebooks uh, allowed us to do that fairly straightforwardly. Right, so there's a whole bunch of operators down here in Stephen's uh, workspace here that you can drag and drop in, as well as your Python notebook yep. to, to combine you know, Python coding with your data prep uh, point and click. Yep. 
So the solution architecture here, uh, Stephen, uh, you know, for this, uh, I think just do a re can you do a recap of that and then let's talk a little bit about performance with the big and wide data. Yeah, aside from the mathematical problem that we're trying to solve here and the scale problem, what we were really trying to do is, is three different modes of computation. We had the large data prep calculations happening first, largely deployed through Spark jobs. Uh, then we had a reduced data set on which we want to apply often classical techniques like regularized regressions. Um, and then we we'll want to be able to surface that to the user as something that's easy to comprehend and drill down into and explore. And so essentially to do that, we had uh, all the data residing uh, in, as I said, EMR. Uh, then we had the TIBCO data science um, uh, big data solution sitting on top of that to do the data prep. We had our in-memory desktop application that was performing the more sophisticated models at the end there, and then surfacing that back up through Dipco Spotfire. That was the and then didn't we, weren't we uh, publishing and refreshing into Redshift and Spotfire was attaching to that too, right? Yes, that's right. That's actually a new, um, for some of the earlier dashboards that we're showing, we're, we're actually now deriving those not from data sets that are extracted out of the source system, in this case Redshift, but dynamically going back to Redshift so that it was we're doing the iterative modeling that you were talking about. This right, is a little right. bit more exploratory now. Uh, but as we're doing that iterative modeling, we're constantly getting new samples of data drawn out of Redshift so the models are seeing as much variance as they can. Yeah. So we're saving parameters into Redshift, but we're also, you know, I mentioned where we were labeling data and getting, you know, here's the signature that we want to detect. Uh, we're also using Redshift for trapping that and also for getting new samples of, of potentially um, anomalous data, but at the moment signatureless. Uh, and using that to sample through Redshift into the uh, Spotfire analysis. Yeah. So Spotfire on top of Redshift is a, is a great combination. So in terms of the wide and big data problem with the millions of columns, can you chat us through the right. performance of, of that? Yeah, so as I mentioned right at the beginning when we were setting up the, the idea of the digital twin, um, conditions in the factory are changing constantly. And so you actually want to refresh, this is not always the case for an application to wide data like this, but in this particular use case, um, you want to refresh these models on a pretty regular basis, certainly daily, if not, say, every hour. So as a test, we ran this, um, and these numbers bear out, we feel, in production. Uh, but in a test environment, uh, on fabricated data, the data that you're seeing here today, of course, is fabricated, um, we've got about 100,000 wafers coming in that were, before, that were analyzing the models. We've got of the order of tens of thousands of sensors each of those having hundreds of measurements, so it's something like a million process variables that are going into the, the computations. And that all runs in about 15 minutes to refresh that workflow that I was just showing you. So refreshing that dimensionality reduction plus the uh, regression at the end uh, takes about 15 minutes, so that's pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. So we've given you a demonstration here today of uh, firstly looking at data-defined patterns uh, through, for example, um, hierarchical clustering on top of a radial basis set of uh, vessel functions. We've shown you how to you know, summarize that up into a set of clusters that we can monitor on the event stream. And now we've shown you how to get to root cause behind a troublesome cluster that has emerged as to what are the process parameters you know, driving that. So we've done most of today in terms of spatial anomaly detection. I did mention a little bit about cross-sectional stuff earlier on with some similar techniques. And I want to just close by a little bit of work in progress that we're doing around longitudinal anomaly uh, analysis and subsequent search. So we've been collaborating with some folks at the University of Irvine who've come up with this uh, Moyne's algorithm for similarity search package. Uh, and this is a way of uh, taking a subsequence and searching across a time series for that. So in this particular case, uh, if you look at that first one length of 100 uh, as a, uh, something you want to search on as a subsequence across 
across the rest of the data, this package allows you to do very, very fast searches at scale. It's kind of like BLAST in the genomics world. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so we can take um, you know, that, uh, that little sequence at the front of 100. Now, that, this, uh, the red sequence there, all the little uh, up and down little bits of red are just random noise. The signature is in those the sine waves that occur like three times. This is a repeated signature or a motif that we're interested in, in tracking. And this idea of a matrix profile that is produced by the mass uh, package allows you to start off with that sequence 1 to 100 and see, does it occur in, in uh, 2 to 101, 3 to 103? Basically, take that subsequence all the way through the, the long time series and then take another subsequence and put that through the time series, and you end up with a matrix of similarities. And so the blue curve below is that matrix. And so if you think about uh, 1 to 100 um, random versus 2 to 101 also random, there's not going to be much correlation there. So that the blue curve starts up pretty high uh, as uh, you know, just noise. Now, uh, the y-axis is similarity. Now, as you start to get into that little sine wave, uh, as you slide the, the 100 window along, you see that blue curve dip down as you find that signature later on. The sine wave occurs three times, and you find it. And so now those are very similar, uh, and the, the, the blue curve now, now dips down. So that's a, you know, just a very simplistic example of it. If you start doing the matrix of all those combinations of subsequent searches, uh, you, can, you end up with that blue curve. Uh, the dips that go down towards the, the x-axis there are very similar subsequences that occur as repeating motifs across the longitudinal time series. When it jumps right up to the, uh, to the orange uh, arrow there, that's an anomaly. That's uh, you know, where you don't have, and it was very dissimilar. Uh, and so you can put this across the time series, and now you can start to, in a very rapid fashion, identify motifs of interest, identify anomalies of interest from the rest of the, of the time series. And this has opened up some really interesting avenues of research uh, for us that we're doing in some of our other manufacturing facilities. So in this case, we have a batch size of 42. And so we've done the 42 subsequent searches. And you see across the top, they all look pretty similar. But when you get into that similarity analysis from the matrix profile, you can see a couple of anomalies show up. There's uh, just right before one, um, uh, 500 and then one just beyond 2,000. It's pretty different. You can see the 2,000 one show up, uh, but you, you, know, you can't really see the, the, the 100 one show up. In any case, to being able to systematically do this through thousands of time series is what we're trying to do. And this is a new technique we've just started to work with that we're pretty, pretty excited about. Perhaps less. Uh Less pressingly, but I think we've even played around with applications in music. Uh, so you can look at motifs, actual motifs in music, where you know if you analyze like a Taylor, I have nothing against Taylor Swift, but if you analyze a Taylor Swift song, you're going to see a lot of dips, as mm -hmm. you have lots of repeating mm -hmm. motifs. But if you go against something like Mozart, Mozart, or <laughs> improvisational, improvisational jazz, for example, right. uh, then you're not going to see that That's so much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So really interesting line of work. We've been you know looking a lot at cross, cross sectional anomaly detection and recently spatial. And now we're just starting to get into longitudinal. Any case, if you guys found this interesting, I invite you to come along to our community site, uh, you know, community.tibco.com, have a poke around. Uh, there's some of the templates that you can download for the Spotfire data science and streaming part. In addition to this uh, digital twin in manufacturing demonstration that we showed you today, there's a number of other what we call cloud starters and accelerators that will run on Tibco Cloud, or if you install Tibco products, we'll run with those for doing things like driving a customer engagement. We have a telco-inspired um, example of, of that. Uh, fraud and risk management aimed at financial services uh, transaction monitoring also uses some anomaly detection algorithms inside of that one. Uh, dynamic pricing, 
where you want to look at both price elasticity uh, as well as uh, customer churn and uh, customer acquisition uh, with dynamic updating of, of pricing. So you basically put a price in front of a customer with certain discounts depending on who they are. Uh, you see, did they accept it or reject it? You save that uh, acceptance and rejection along with the quote uh, into a, a, a TIBCO backend. Uh, as that data starts to accumulate, you then rebase the model and come back around and put that back on the event stream. So it's a closed loop, continuous learning application, the dynamic pricing one. And then finally, bottom right in the energy sector for monitoring equipment, uh, production equipment, drilling equipment, um, you know, in uh, an IoT type of a setting. So that's it. I'm going to open it up for questions now. Uh, there's a few links there, and you, you certainly feel free to email Steve and myself. There's some of the folks on the team who contributed uh, to the work. Uh, I think one or two of them are in the audience here today. So thanks for your attention and open for questions. I think we clap at this point, right? <laughs>